OWASP is in a state of discord. Over the past few years, there have been fractures in the community. Recently, there have been arguments on the leader email list that have clearly breached the lines of etiquette. Personal attacks, distribution of funds, and complaints of lack of diversity are creating tension among the members. If we, as an organization, refuse to confront these issues, there is a real potential we will no longer have relevance to the AppSec community. The infighting has become a detriment to chapter leaders and project leaders who are looking to us for consistent leadership and direction. In early July, the OWASP board announced the appointment of Andrew van der Stock as executive director. I called and spoke with Andrew at length about how he intends to confront the existing issues in the organization and what he hopes to accomplish during his tenure. I have known Andrew for years through his work on the application security verification standard. As a previous OWASP board member, he has insight into how the board works and how to make changes. In our discussion, we spoke directly about the current problems at OWASP and Andrew's vision for moving the organization forward by confronting existing problems in policy, rewriting sections of the bylaws, and setting up enforcement of those bylaws. Andrew has not set himself an easy task. The pushback is sure to cause more strife in the beginning, but he is determined to implement changes that will make OWASP stronger in the long run and put us on a course to continue to be a leading role to the AppSec community. In the spirit of transparency and open discussion, Andrew answered every question I had for him. He intends to continue this discussion with the community through the creation of live online discussions. For now, Andrew is ready to implement his vision for a WASP, as he talks about here. Let's get started. This is the DevSecOps podcast series. The DevSecOps podcast is supported by OWASP, coordinators of the Summer of Security, July the 28th to the 29th, and August the 25th to the 26th. And by Nexus OSS Index. Seven free tools to help manage open source ecosystems. Providing vulnerability details for your open source components. So congratulations, Mr. Executive Director. Thank you. Much appreciated. <laughs> so a lot of that happened behind the scenes. We didn't know there was a transition going on. Yeah, so um, in March, I was made redundant uh, from my previous position. I'd been having a conversation with Sharif about um, one of the board members about potentially coming aboard. Um, it was hypothetical at that point, um, but after becoming redundant, it was uh, certainly higher on the agenda. And it just took time. The reality is, is that I need to have immigration issues cleared before I can, can start work. Mm. And without getting that cleared, I'm not permitted to work. And therefore, it would have been a, a waste of everyone's energy um, to announce it, uh, particularly prematurely. The US government takes a very harsh stance on people who work without authorization. So we needed to get it right. And we've done that. So that's good. This is not to say that, um, you know, our previous executive director, Mike McCammon, he's done a fantastic job of sorting out the problems behind the scenes. Um, he inherited um, three or four um, years worth of technical debt, and he's been working his way very solidly through that. Um, and so I wish to thank Mike very publicly because I, I don't think he's been appreciated as much as he should be by the community for all of the hard work he's been putting in. You know, you, you bring up like a, a, a touchy subject here is there has been some volatility mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the company itself, in the organization itself, and it has become visible on the leaders list. Yes. Um, one of the things that I would like clarity on is 
obviously you and the board now are aware of the problems. What mm -hmm. is going to happen going forward with that kind of activity? Well, for a start, I'm going to basically say difficult conversations need to had, be had earlier. They never get easier. And so this is actually one of my highest priorities. The activities um, on the leaders list were, in my view, incredibly toxic. And in fact, I shut down um, the thread because people were talking past each other and weren't listening to each other's particular points of view. This is not to say that the people who are being somewhat less than friendly don't have good points, they do, but we need to reset the expectations about what it is to be a member and what it means to be a leader. So as part of a um, package of uh, issues that we're trying to take forward with the board, uh, I'm gonna be working with some board sponsors to um, run a town hall later this month to get member feedback on proposed changes. One of those changes will hopefully be, and obviously as executive director, uh, making changes to bylaws is the board's prerogative, but we need to take the community along for the ride. The OWASP community is, to put it mildly, there's a lot of very strong personalities, yet there's also a lot of expectations that we will do things for non-members um, that other organizations wouldn't. So what we want to do is actually in this COVID time of COVID, we want to take the opportunity to reset what it means to help OWASP. Part of being a membership organization is to be a member. We need to drive some uh, changes so that we do address some of the concerns that have been brought up by the community, but we also need people in the community to realize we are not just there to be having things taken from us. We absolutely need them to chip in as well. If you go and volunteer at a um, lost dog shelter, you're going to be mucking out um, the kennels and you're going to be walking dogs. The problem that I have at the moment is people are expecting, I want to help OWASP, what are you going to do for me? We need to change this conversation around. We definitely want to continue being open. We want to be transparent, but we have to get rid of the toxicity. And I think part of that is in terms of resetting the expectations is there was a lot of concern and consternation about certain types of expenses being denied or permitted. That comes down to a very poorly worded policy um, that says anything that was previously approved is also approved now. And honestly, that doesn't fly. So what we want to do is change it to be a much simpler policy. And this is where we need board sponsorship. We want to basically say, if you're a board no, sorry, if you're a leader, committee, chapter, project, board member, you're a member. Expense policy applies to all leaders. You can apply for an expense to be refunded. And as long as it falls under a certain dollar value and you're a leader, it'll be approved. This will get rid of any uncertainty for any leader anywhere in the world to actually have an expense approved within limits. I don't want to be basically saying, yes, you can have a microphone and this other person over here. No, you can't have a microphone. That makes no sense to me. Microphones are not something that a person would normally buy for themselves, unless it's you or me. <laughs> um, let me just show you mine. <laughs> I'm just holding up for those listening. Uh, a beautiful little Yeti Nano. It's a great little microphone. Yeah. And <laughs> that something is another Yeti. Um, Fantastic microphones. Um, so I want certainty, I want simplicity, and I want uniformity. This is a conversation we have to have. 
there aren't any easy answers. If there were easy answers, they would have already been done. Um, and so we're doing a town hall later this month and I want members to participate and tell us what they think about these changes. What's the date on that, Andrew? Uh, we're proposing at the moment to be the last week in July. We actually do have some APSEC days coming up. We're looking at around either the 27th, the 30th or the 31st of July at this point. If it's not going to fall on that week, it'll actually be the first week of August because we want to give people time. If we don't give people time, they're not going to be able to attend and we won't have community feedback and then the fall of buy-in from the community. I will just say one more thing on this. We now have a community review process and we're trying to find folks to sit on the community review team to take community feedback in a uh, transparent and open way and apply that to the policies that's being put to the board. And that, com that committee will actually take the input from the community, decide to accept it, modify the policy or whatever the case may be and bring that to the board for approval. At the moment, we don't have a really good way of handling feedback and therefore you see what you see in the ledgers list. So we're trying a few things. Uh, I think the town hall will be very helpful. I think the community review process will provide the transparency people are looking for, because I don't think they're feeling like they're heard. And hopefully this will talk, stop people talking past each other and we'll get rid of some of this baseline issues that should just be simple. If you've got an expense for pizza for a, um, a chapter meeting, done. As long as it's not over a certain dollar value, just automatically approved. I think that's fair. Is there any control, and I use the podcast series as an example, there's money in my budget, 500 or mm -hmm. $1,000. Do I have access to that or do I need approval to utilize the funds that are in my project's account? So we do at the moment keep track of all the different projects and all the different chapters. And in some cases, some of the initiatives like we are, they have budget. It's actually very complicated. Uh, it is the foundation's money, which we look on, uh, look after on behalf of the chapters, projects, committees, and whatnot. The reality is, is that most of the chapters, projects, and whatnot do not spend any money. Um, many of them don't have any money to spend, and that sort of hinders us in promoting our mission worldwide. I want to take it to a simpler place where if, say, for example, a project wants to have someone travel on their behalf to go and do something important for that project, the same policy would apply for travel, for projects, committees, chapters. And therefore we'd have a much simpler chapter handbook. It'd literally be, how do we run, how do you start and how do you run a chapter? Mm -hmm. And then the expense policy therefore applies to all leaders. And therefore, if you have a expense under a certain dollar value, it doesn't matter how much money you might have in the bank because we know that people don't spend it. They spend between everybody about $200,000 a year. We have $300,000 budgeted. Although we have money in the bank and some chapters and some projects think it's their money, if we felt that that was the treatment and it's not the treatment because uh, our accountants say it's not the treatment, we would be trading insolvently and we would have to wrap OS up and we can't. And it's not the way it is treated. So what we need to do is grandfather the current scheme we don't want to penalise uh, any chapters or projects that have done very well in achie achieving local sponsorship, but we need to change the way that we actually handle money within the organisation so that it's fairer, more global and achieves our mission. Because as a non-profit, we're not designed to make a loss, 
but we have to spend on mission. And if we're only spending a fraction of our yearly income on mission, we could lose our status. So we want more people to spend money, not less. Isn't this, uh, it's opening up the idea that some of the chapters have big, big bankrolls because of the location that they are and because of the community that they've built up over the years. Right. So isn't the pushback that there are, and I'm reading my notes here, uh, some of the underserved areas, are we looking at transferring budget from the larger chapters to the underserved chapters or what's the discussion? I think the discussion has to be with the community because a solution has been tried um, when I was on the board, um, after I left the board. I think we need to get to a position where we grandfather the current scheme and give a sunset for the chapters and the projects with these large balances to figure out what they want to do with the funds. The expectation is that they collected those funds on their own behalf through their own hard efforts. Um, some of them were very lucky in that they were holding a uh, global AppSec and were the beneficiaries of a very large split that has changed over time. So this doesn't happen to um, anyone who hosts a new global AppSec. So that's not really fair on the people who are doing the hard work, the same sort of hard work, in fact, harder because we have larger events now. We need to come up with a way that rewards volunteerism um, in a fair way that allows the chapters, no matter big or small, no matter where they are, can access money and promote our mission. Um, there are many underserved areas that have no budget. They have very few members. Um, the membership fees from some of our larger chapters are doing very well. And in many places, we've only recently instituted a, a geographic um, uh, membership fee. And if you get 20 members who are all paying $20, that's $400 or thereabouts. And it's really not going to make or break a, a chapter. But having access to say $1,200 a year, no matter what, no matter how many members you have, as just you can expense that, you know, each and every meeting, I think will actually forward our mission a great deal and encourage membership. It'll actually encourage people to say, the more people I have attending my meetings and the more often I run my meetings, the better the OWASP mission will be. At the moment, there's no incentive for people with no money to run anything. And obviously we do see some of that negative behavior. And I'd like to get rid of any barriers to people running chapter meetings. They, there just shouldn't be any. It sounds as if one of your major objectives as you're coming in here is expense policies and just getting all this worked out. What, uh, what are a couple other things that you're focusing on as you get started here? Well, obviously with uh, COVID um, and the different approaches of different countries, I think we all know they, the US is not a stellar example. It may be several years, maybe even three or four before we can run another global AppSec in person. Other countries like Australia, um, Victoria is about to go into six weeks of lockdown because uh, they had a outbreak of 80 COVID cases um, and a few deaths. Um, so a, a town of 5 million is completely locked down. Um, they will get basically absolutely clear of COVID later this year and they can run events, but people can't travel to Australia. You need to quarantine for two weeks. The number of flights there is very limited and very expensive right now. So we have to assume that our in-person events will be smaller. Our in-person events will probably be in selected countries and not all. And so we need to get really good at running virtual 
uh, things, something that you have been doing for years, you're well ahead of the curve. I think <laughs> all day AppSec is an amazing event and I would definitely yeah. 100% plug it. <laughs> no, I, you know, we started all day DevOps in 2016. I like to say we were social distancing before it was cool. Yeah, no, it's a really good event. I highly recommend it to anyone. Um, the other things that we want to work on is we want to basically get back to our basics. We need to get back to developers. And one of those things is to get onto DevSecOps and really pivot our projects, our flagships and our intermediate um, projects who have some capability of being turned into a, something that developers can directly use. Automation first, tooling, you know, in IDE knowledge. This is something that we have the information, but the way that we ask people to consume it right now is not integrated at all with the development process. We need to turn that around. I want to basically start doing outreach to developers and testers. And what I mean testers, I don't mean penetration testers. I mean, you know, software testers, QA people, the folks that Sonatype deal with every single day. Um, this is a community that I think is underserved by OWASP, and yet it is our mission. I really need us to focus back on that. I would like us to have a proper academic curriculum. I, my next meeting actually is to discuss this with some academics. Um, one of the issues with driving a curriculum is it needs to be, it needs to be built by an academic. Um, I could build you a 12 week course to be taught at a university, but because I don't have academic credentials, you won't have the substance behind it. The, the learning, um, there's a word that starts with P, I think it's pedagogy or something like that. Um, the way that you would yeah, actually pedagogy, use, yeah, yeah, um, that needs to be there, and I don't have it. And so, working with academics to build out a proper, um, not only one semester, but a major course of application security, and then start getting it out there for free to everybody. This is a huge deal for us, and I think that's going to yeah. be great. I, you know, I like that idea a lot. I taught a technical training for many years. And what I found, even with the major companies that I taught for, Hewlett Packard, when SGI was around SGI and Autodesk and places like that, it didn't matter whether you had a degree or not, or you, or you, you had the pedagogy. It's whether you knew how to get the job done, if you knew how yes. to work it. So I would suggest that as part of this, I mean, I'd be interested in hearing uh, as you go along what you're working on. I don't think you need the credentials. I don't think you need that sense of being um, accredited as much as being identified as the content expert. Mm. Well, we're aiming to provide the content. Um, mm -hmm. We're also working with academics to make sure that it can be adopted because there's obviously a process to get a curriculum into a tertiary course. And I don't know that process and I think that's what this next meeting for me is about is to learn what are the, what are the struggles? How do we get past it? And what do they need to start with? If we start with something small, um, what does that look like? I think that's going to be quite an important thing for our mission. It seems to me, I mean, you know, all the players too, you got Adrian mm. over there. Adrian is an academic. He's going to yes. know what the hoops are, right? You've just guessed as to who I'm actually having my next <laughs> meeting with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, very good. Um, 
the last part that I really want to work on, because we can't work on too many things at once. We, if we try to boil the ocean, it's going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. We actually have to refocus on being a um, organization that has a diversity of income. We currently don't have uh, the luxury of waiting around to see COVID out. Um, if we can't run conferences without changing, we will be out of business probably by late next year. And that'll be terrible. So we actually have to go and figure out how do we actually do fundraising, donations, directed grants, restricted um, packages and things like that. Um, we need to figure out a few things along those lines. I want to use this time as not just a method of saying, please give us money, but actually to rebuild OWASP in a better way. Um, so obviously industry might have things that they're interested in. If we can help build them and then get a, the ability to license it for free for everyone else to consume, that would be an amazing thing. Some organizations are really into that, others less so, but I, I think we need to stick true to our heart. We're an open organization and we're transparent. And if I don't say to the people that we're asking for grants and uh, funding from that we would like to see this open source at the end, I think we'd be failing our mission. We need to stick to our mission. One of the things that has reared its ugly head again is the diversity issue yep. in OWASP. And I, I don't know where to take this even line of questioning. And it's like, we all know it's a problem. Yep, and that is a, 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 an issue that we need to address over time and now. Over time, with the, like for example, getting a curriculum together, we'll hopefully get more people exposed to our field and therefore we'll have more people coming into it. The gender balance of university courses is roughly 50-50, sometimes less, sometimes more. When I was in India recently, almost half of my colleagues in India were um, women. There's no reason why this field could not be better. But one of the problems that we have that is now, and a difficult problem to have, is toxicity. I'm a huge fan of saying toxic behavior has to go. People who are toxic are a curse on the community. They drag everybody else down to their level. And it actually makes it rather hostile for people who don't need to deal with such unprofessional and childish behavior. The, the recent thread that we were talking about before, where we had people piling on one of our staff members, that is extremely unprofessional. I don't even know how you could actually say that was professional in any stretch of the imagination. We actually have a code of conduct. If that person was a member, I would like to see us apply our code of conduct more frequently so that people get the message that toxic behavior is completely unacceptable and will not be tolerated. We have over 50,000 people involved in OWASP. We have three and a half thousand members. The loss of one or two toxic people, I am perfectly happy to have because those people, they are not part of the community. They are terrible. They drag everybody down. They don't come up with solutions. All they want to do is argue and be unprofessional. And that is not part of being what we are. We are inclusive. We are global. We need to make sure that we actually respect all different viewpoints. This board is the first board with only one US board member. So as a global organization, that is actually tremendously great. I love that. However, I think we've still got further to go. We need to have these different voices because we're better with more voices. We are better with being nice and kind to each other. 
and we get more done, we can actually reach out to our community, to developers, if we are actually able to be constructive. As a result of that discussion that was in the leaders list recently, OWASP lost a corporate sponsor. And in this time, we cannot afford to do that. And it actually stopped us from getting other sponsors. So this behavior is not, is not penalty free. As I said, one of the things that I'm gonna be doing is having a difficult conversation with our community, within the town hall that says, to be a leader, you must be a member because only members can be actually subject to our code of conduct. I don't mind people who are contributing to be non-members, but if you're gonna be a leader, you need to be a member because otherwise you haven't signed on to the code of conduct and therefore there's no penalty for being toxic. That's a conversation that's gonna be highly controversial, but I don't think it should be. If you believe in OWASP mission, you should be a member. It's not expensive. It's about the same as a, a meal out for two people, no matter where you are in the world now. That isn't much to support, you know, one of the top organizations in our field. One of the issues, Andrew, that we run into consistently, and not just with OWASP, but in general in business, is yep. that there are stated consequences for mm. behavior like this, but the consequences yes. aren't enforced. Let's just put it this way. In my first seven days, I've already referred two people in our community to the compliance committee for a investigation. The problem we've got is, is that it moves, it, those folks are completely overwhelmed and I would like to encourage more people who are interested in compliance to volunteer for that committee. However, in the past, OWAS has let a lot of things go through to the keeper and we've very rarely taken action against people. And I think this has set us up for a poor state of affairs today. I want to change this around so that people understand that there is a, a standard of behavior that we expect and we will hold you to it. Um, I would like to operationalize some of these compliance decisions where it's clear. We shouldn't need a compliance investigation to put people on probation or give people warnings because at the moment our only strategy is to completely prohibit them after a month long process, by which time people have often forgotten what the actual issue was. And maybe it's even been resolved, but the behavior itself has you know, harmed people. It's like, you know, if you break a plate, you can glue it back together, but it's still a broken plate. This is what people don't realize is that via toxic behavior, you end up with a lot of broken plates. We don't want broken plates. We want to basically build brand new dinner sets. Yeah. So, I want to stamp on this a little bit harder, but for now, I think that one of the things that we need is the ability to enforce our code of conduct, which means leaders need to be members. When you and I talk again in six mm. months or a year, what do you what do you hope to be talking about at that time? What do you want to move towards here? I want the business as usual stuff to be non non controversial in its completely. It's not even an issue. I would like to be talking about how well we've been doing running virtual events, how well we've been doing pivoting um, OWASP from a traditional AppSec community into an, like, an agile, vibrant, thriving community. Are you finding support for that? I mean, are you standing yeah. alone or are you getting support? No, I've met with six of the board members so far. Um, unfortunately, one of our board members had her father pass away. Um, and so I haven't had a chance to speak to her yet. I, um, have had complete support from the board on my 
ideas here. Mm. And in fact, uh, Mike has actually been putting through many of the things that we've been talking about in a draft membership policy uh, that needs to go through the community review process, which is why we're doing the town hall. So it sounds as if, taking a, an overall picture of what you just said, yep. one of the main transitions is going to be to a virtual environment over the next year. Yep. Um, starting with, um, we're already doing virtual training now. Uh, that's relatively straightforward, but running a conference with an expo floor um, and providing value to our sponsors is an open question. And we're, we're probably going to get it wrong a few times, but we will get it right. We're going to be doing the San Francisco conference as a virtual conference. We are adjusting prices to make sure that it's got value for the, the sponsors, um, reflecting our cost change. But at the same time, we still need a certain level of profitability to make sure we can survive. We're still working on that. And I, I do assume that we're going to have a few hiccups along the way, but we will get there. And I want to see us actually add this to our quiver of things that we can do, even after we can go back to in-person events. Lastly, I think in-person events, we need to reopen safely. And it's going to be done at different times in different countries and different regions. And we need to come up with some policies around when that's safe to do because I'm a big believer in wearing masks and social distancing and making sure that our people are safe, our staff, our members, and our sponsors. Everyone who participates in OWAS deserves a safe environment. As much as I want to get back to having in-person events, we need to do it safely, and it's going to be at different times in different countries. All right, Andrew. Always good to catch up with you. Thanks for all Always. the work you're doing. you got a hard row ahead. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No worries. Thank you. This has been the DevSecOps podcast series. The DevSecOps podcast is supported by OWASP, coordinators of the Summer of Security, July the 28th to the 29th, and August the 25th to the 26th. And by Nexus OSS Index. Seven free tools to help manage open source ecosystems, providing vulnerability details for your open source components.